And I'm, I'm honored to be able to stand here before you and proclaim the word of God to you here this morning. And as you turn in there, if you're still looking for it, um, I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever had a time in your life where you've gotten really serious possibly about your health? and you really wanted to put the best foot forward about it, and so you adopt the new eating plan, you adopt this new healthy lifestyle, you're exercising, you're doing all of these things, and you start to see improvement. And there's things that have happened, and you're getting smaller, you're getting more fit, and so it gets to be the point where you need to start buying new clothes. Thankfully, I've reached that point in my life where Through God's grace and his conviction in my life, I had some stuff going on with my health and I had to get myself in gear. And thankfully, as of this past week, I hit 45 pounds, gone. I don't say that for cheers, no, no, no. But the reason I I say that is because I want you to think about this in the context of what we're looking at today. You're like, how's that gonna work, Brian? When When you go through a health journey and you start to make changes in your life physically, other aspects of your life can be changed as well. Even the spiritual side of things. Because you start to discipline yourself into a point to where you're doing things to better your health. And it also opens up this avenue where you realize, man, I've got more energy, I've got more time, I've got more effort to do these things. And so you wanna put the best foot forward in those things, even on the spiritual side. In my weight loss journey so far, I've reached the point to where I'm finally able to buy new jeans. And I bought some new jeans the other week, or other month, excuse me, and I finally have started wearing them. I like them a lot. Um, They do not fit nearly as baggy as the old ones, praise God. But with those old ones that I used to wear, if I were to go back now and put those on with the weight loss that I've had, I would look like a clown because I would be walking around continually pulling up my pants. I know it's a silly example, but think of it this way. Maybe you don't have like a health weight loss journey, but maybe you've got a favorite outfit that you've worn forever, or you've got a favorite t-shirt. Now, there's a new pizza place. I know I'm talking about my health journey. There's a new pizza place. When we have cheat meal every now and then, it's right outside of our neighborhood. And I go there, and I've realized now the past three times that I've gone in that place to pick up the pizza, I've worn the same T-shirt because the guy has complimented the shirt every single time because it's a CSU T-shirt, and he's asked me if I worked at CSU, and I realized after the second time, oh, I wore that shirt again. And then I did it the last time we went, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, i got to stop wearing a shirt. But that is my go-to shirt. Miranda knows exactly what t-shirt I'm talking about. It's my CSU shirt that's got the the football helmet on the back. I wear it all the time, but it's even starting to get big on me now and I don't need to wear it anymore. But you might have your favorite outfit or something and over the years and time, it is starting to worn out. It's starting to get to the point where it's like, "Ah, I probably don't need to wear this anymore. I need to just put this away. But that comfort that it brings or that the way you look in it or the way you feel in it, you're like, ah, I kind of want to go back and put it back on. I want you to keep that idea in your mind as we look at this passage today. Because when Paul is talking to the Ephesian believers here in chapter 4, verse 17 and following, he is describing what it means to take off the old self, as the Gentiles have, as he talks about, and putting on the new self for followers of Christ. Now, I would be crazy to think, and I've said this before when I've preached, I'd be crazy to think that every single person that is in this room right now or that is listening online knows Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'd be crazy to think that. My prayer is that that is the case for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because you're going to hear the word today prayerfully. You've already heard it through song, choir, amazing job. Mr. Ed, that was some good stuff. The word has been proclaimed already, and I, I pray that it will continue to be done today. My prayer for you is that you will see the importance of walking away from the old self today. 
and taking on the new self. And I'll explain more of that in a moment. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word here this morning. Starting in chapter four, verse 17. And the word of the Lord says, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. May God add his blessings to the reading of it. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, Lord, for the time of worship that we've had here in this place. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your great love that you have for us, God, that you would send Jesus to take our place at Calvary, to die on that cross, to be buried and raised to new life on the third day, that even gives us the opportunity to to talk about putting off the old and putting on the new. Lord, thank you for that. God, I pray, Lord, that as we continue in this time now, that every distraction would fade away. Lord, that we would hear from heaven right now, Lord, that you would use me, Lord, my sinful, saved by grace self, Lord, that you would speak through me and that you would be glorified in this place. And Lord, I pray for our brothers and sisters that are gathered all around our community, lifting high the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friend Rudy Halstead as he's at restoration this morning preaching this morning as Pastor Adam is out on vacation. Lord, I pray that you would empower him and you would use him powerfully as he speaks your word today. Bless their congregation. Thank you, Lord, for what they've done this past week with the sports camp and the lives that have been changed because of it. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So with this passage, I want us to be able to see today, and my prayer is that you will see that believers who profess Christ Jesus as Lord, you as a believer in Christ are called to live your life in your new identity with Christ. That is your calling. That is your purpose. You have been given a new identity in Christ. We've established all through the book of Ephesians so far in the first three chapters, these theological concepts, understanding who we are before Jesus and understanding what happens after the but God and how the fact that he has saved us because he is rich in mercy and he loved us because of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross for us. We have been changed by that. And so because of this, as we transition into the second half that Pastor Troy started last week with chapter four, We see this way that we need to apply these truths to our life and how we are to live it out. And so with that said, the first point is that you are to take off the old self. Take off the old self. Verse 17. Now this I say to you and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul is testifying in the Lord. We know that Paul has already given the authority to God and to Jesus because he addresses that in the opening of his book. Every letter that he writes, he talks about that in some regard. In verse four, uh, excuse me, chapter four, one, he says, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He's always pointing everything back to the Lord because that is who has authority. 
And he is his messenger. He has been sent to bless this church at Ephesus after planning it. The same with Philippians, Colossians, and all the others that he writes to in the New Testament. He is giving that glory to God. He is testifying in it, and he's driving home the point. This is very important. I've established to you in this first part that this is the way the church is. This is how you are to live your lives after you understand the concept of being a follower of Jesus. Here's how we live it out. He says there in verse 17 to not walk, to no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It's this mindset and concept of living a life daily. For the believers, for us who know Christ, as we are walking our lives out daily, as we are living our lives, we are not to go back to the old self. We're not to go back and dabble in that old shirt, if you will, with the, with the uh, imagery from earlier. That old sin, maybe, the things that we used to do in our former self. We are to not go back to those things. Instead, we're to take on the new self and to continually pursue Jesus. Now, when Paul is talking here and he's saying this about the Gentiles, he's saying this about anyone who does not know Christ, these unbelievers. So he's telling them, do not walk in a manner that they do. Do not follow the way in which they walk. They are not living their lives for Christ because they don't know Christ. And we'll get to that in a moment. He says, futility of the mind. Futility of their minds. And from the Greek, the translation there can come as meaningless. And you might say, well, Brian, are you saying that a person that doesn't know Jesus, they live a life that is meaningless? In a way, I would say, yes, their life is still important. They're made in the image of God. But they have no purpose to their life because they don't know Jesus. There is no purpose. They are not living their life completely yours, as we just sang about. They haven't lived their life. They haven't realized the fact that they were a sinner in need desperately of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So they don't know that purpose that we who profess Christ are have. They don't live that because they don't know it. It's part of the reason why the church is here, established in the community to profess the gospel and to go and make disciples. This concept, it can be tied back into what Pastor Troy preached on back from chapter two. Look at this with me, chapter two, one through three. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This, for the believers, this is who we were before Jesus. This is our description Somebody says, look up a description in the Bible of Brian Eyre before he knew Jesus. You turn to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Thank God for his grace and his mercy that I've been saved and transformed. And I have verse 4, but God. Because he saved my life and now I'm a saint alive for him, as Pastor Troy said during his sermon. Praise God for that. But the unbelievers that are around us daily, the unbelievers, these Gentiles, as Paul is talking about, they still live this way. So he's telling the church at Ephesus, do not live in this manner anymore. Continually pursue Christ. Look at 18, chapter 4, 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Simply put, folks, they don't know Christ. 
They're darkened. They don't understand it. They've been alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to this hardness of heart, as Paul says. It's because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Chapter 2, 1 that we just read. It's because of that sin that they are continually indwelled in. It's an ignorance and a willful ignorance of God. Paul also in another letter to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, 5 says, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The context of that passage, he's telling them another descriptive way for them, a prescription, if you will, of how to live for God. He's saying these Gentiles, they live in the passions of their lust and they don't know God. Again, proving the point. Paul's saying don't live in the way or walk in the way that they do. This hardness of heart that Paul talks about, it ties in with the Greek to the word porosis, which is to describe like a heart of stone. Now the life experience that is in this room, I would think that the most of us, if I say a stone and you can imagine that, you can see it even in your hand. Maybe you as a kid were growing up and you went through the mountains and you would go to the little gym mines or you find a little stone or something, and you've actually held one possibly in your hand. You can't break that thing. It's hard as a rock. When Paul's talking about this, he's talking about the hardness of their heart. It's hard like that stone. They want nothing of God because they don't know God. They haven't been transformed by the power of Jesus and what he's done for us. Like those of us who profess Christ. F.F. Bruce, who's a a theologian, and, a, and a, um, I've, I've got several of his commentaries, he says in this regard to this concept, he says it's the progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. The progressive inability of conscience to convict them of wrongdoing. There is no Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. There is no conviction that comes about in their lives because they don't know Christ. Thank God for you and I who profess Christ and know Jesus intimately. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us that convicts us. And if we have those moments where we're being convicted and we don't do something about that conviction and we continue to let the sin run its course, prepare for destruction because it's coming. We must repent because if not, we're being disobedient against God. And this disobedience, Paul talks about in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Unrighteous behavior suppresses the truth of God. It's heavy, man. It's heavy. Verse 19 says that they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. They become callous. Paul says this, and, and it refers to the fact that the unbelievers lose the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment, or they're also sharing or having an insensitive and cruel disregard for others. They become callous. They don't have the joy that a person who knows Christ Jesus has. So Paul's listing out all of these things and he's saying, don't, don't walk in a manner like they do because this is how they live because they don't know Jesus. It's almost like they've become numb. They've become numb in their life and there's, there's nothing that brings them joy. 
Those of us that, have, that know Jesus, we know what our life was like before, before Christ. We know what it was like to, to not feel that, that end result in a way that brings us peace and comfort. Before Christ, we would run to the things like Paul's describing here to bring us joy and peace and comfort. And what would happen? Every single time, it would leave us what? Continually empty. Jesus fulfills us. Jesus transforms us. Paul says that he gives them up to sensuality. And this means that it's a lack of self-restraint and it violates all of what is acceptable socially. And then Paul also says there within this that they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sexual sin, giving in to, to the lust of the flesh, giving in to the evil that this world provides. I don't know if you've noticed, but this world has taken what God has ordained as a beautiful thing within a marriage of sex, and he's totally distorted it. The world has, the enemy has. What was once used to glorify God in worship between two people, a man and a wife that come together in a union, has totally been distorted today. Fact is, we've seen it all across denominations. Prominent church leaders have even given in to, to sins just like this that Paul's talking about. It, it, I bring that up to point out something. Paul is talking about the Gentile believers here. I mean, unbelievers here. Yes. But make no mistake, just because we know Christ Jesus as Lord doesn't mean that we're completely scot free from sin. We still sin. The enemy, as, as Peter tells us later on in the New Testament, the enemy seeks to destroy us and devour us like a roaring lion. He wants to just destroy every bit of us. He wants to destroy our marriage. He wants to destroy our family. He wants to destroy our church. We must stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. We must have a pure mind and a pure heart. Are we still going to sin? Yes. That's going to happen. But the reality is because of the saving grace of Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life with Jesus forever of what is coming. And we will have no more sin. We will have no more pain, no more sorrow, no more any of that. But right now, here and now, between right now until that day comes, we still have to battle the daily issues that we face, the daily sins that we battle, whatever they may be. Thank God for grace and mercy. And thank God that we can repent. But as I said a few moments ago, if the conviction is there and you're being continually disobedient, you gotta be careful with that. Because God is going to bring about the punishment or whatever it may be for that sin. This isn't Brian's words, it's the word of God. Trust me when I tell you, when I've prepared for this, I've been very convicted. Transparency right here, folks. We must continually deny ourselves and follow Jesus. The second thing we see, he says to put on the new self. Put on the new self, point number two. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him, you were taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus. 
This isn't just saying, Paul's not just saying here that you've learned about Jesus because you read a couple of books about him. Paul is talking here and describing the fact that there are those who have proclaimed the word of God to these Ephesian believers, that God has provided the means by which the believers at Holmes Avenue have heard the word of God proclaimed to them, that God has provided the means for those that listen online for the word of God to be proclaimed to them in some way, shape, or form. We've heard these things these truthful things about God and Jesus Christ and what he's done. Pastor Troy preached a phenomenal message last week and this comes out of it, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up the body of Christ. Paul's already talked about that prior to this. And he's telling these Ephesian believers, you have heard about Jesus. You have learned about him because of what you've heard. But I want to take it a step further. Not only by what we have heard, but we have also learned Christ because of what we have experienced with him. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you understand what it means to no longer be eternally dead. Because your life has truly been transformed. It's been flipped upside down. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. You're not living the way in which you once did because you at one point didn't know what the Holy Spirit was because it wasn't in you. You've had that moment of interaction with Jesus when he transformed your life. I posted on Facebook earlier today. Today is the four-year anniversary of my grandmother's passing. And I found it so fitting that God would allow me to preach on that day. Because my granny, as you've heard me say before, was faithful to the call as a follower of Jesus to share the gospel with her grandson. And had she not done that on July 2nd, 96, I don't know where I would have gone in my life. I was raised in a great home. But as Brian got older, Brian wanted to live for his own selfish desires. And I think God, at the point in which he did, he gave my granny the opportunity and she stepped forth in faith and trusting him to share the gospel with me. And my life was transformed because of that. I have had that immediate interaction with Jesus because I know him. You who know Jesus have had that interaction. You have felt that transformation. You have learned Christ as you have grown in your sanctification process. As you have gone each and every day, you saints that have known Jesus for many years, you saints that have known Jesus for only a few weeks, as you grow every single day and you come before the Lord and you open his word, the living word of God, and you say, Lord, I'm coming before you. I don't have a clue what you're gonna say to me. I just hope and pray that you would speak to me, that I would hear it and that you would change me. If that is your desire, I guarantee you that God will speak to your heart and show you something every single time. You may not realize it in that moment. There have been many times in my life where I've read through something, I've prayed that prayer, and nothing jumped out to me in that moment. But within the next couple of hours, something has happened in my life to where God immediately takes me back to the passage of Scripture that he spoke to me this morning. The word does not return void. It never has, it never will. Hallelujah. 
Jesus is the center of Christianity. He is the reason for everything we stand on and trust in because of his sacrificial atoning work on the cross at Calvary. Thank God for the cross and thank God for the resurrection. And it's because of all of this that we can identify with Christ like Paul does. Another reference is Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul was game for whatever it is that God had for him. Paul was ready for death. Paul was ready to do whatever God said to do because he lived his life, as he said before, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That was his spiritual worship to God. May we be imitators just like Paul of Christ to that point where we say, Lord, whatever you want, even if it means my death. Verse 22 says, to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. This, this point here of, of this, I, wanna, I just really want to drive this for a moment. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life. Don't get it twisted. The moment we come to know Jesus, you are signed, sealed, delivered, you're his. You have the promise of eternal life with Jesus forever. But this concept of putting off the old self, this is a daily routine as I alluded to a moment ago. This is daily This is waking up and realizing, well, let let me give you this example. How many of you can attest to this? I guarantee you, probably tomorrow morning, within the first hour of myself being awake, I'm either gonna sleep in for a couple minutes or something's gonna go wrong that Brian's gonna cause. My kiddos are gonna wake up early and I'm gonna get frustrated because they woke up early because I wasn't disciplined enough to do something on my own. And then I may do something to upset Miranda or she may do something to upset me. More than likely, I'm gonna upset her And then I'm going to go to leave my neighborhood to go take my kids to where they're going. And I'm going to go to the traffic light outside of my neighborhood that I know only takes 10 seconds and then it turns yellow after it's green. And the guy in front of me is going to be on his phone until the light turns yellow. And I'm not going to make the light. And I'm going to get frustrated. I I make these funny things up to say this. I'm going to sin tomorrow probably within the first 20 minutes of me being awake. So are you. It's the reality of our lives. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And because of that, because of that, it is this waking up daily and living out fully, 100% before God and saying, Lord, I want to truly live out Luke 9, 23. That one's not on the board. But it says, Jesus is telling his followers, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross daily and follow me. You must deny your desires. Brian, you don't get what you want. You get what I want. Brian, if you're going to be my follower, you identify with my cross and you carry it. And then you follow me. It's self-denial. Putting on the new self is a daily occurrence because every single day we wake up and we want to live for us. But the calling as a follower of Jesus is to wake up every day and say, 
No self. You don't get what you want. Jesus, have your way. Whatever you want, I am yours. Completely yours, as we sang. I think about this concept with Matthew's passage in chapter 26, 41, where he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Those of you that know this passage, you know that this is talking about the night at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night that Jesus is betrayed and he's about to go to the cross and go through 24 hours of pain and a false trial that should not have happened to begin with and go through a lot of stuff that leads to the cross. And he's just had his last supper with his disciples. Judas is peaced out because he's going to portray Jesus. And Jesus takes his followers to Gethsemane. And as he gets there, he takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes in a little bit more, and he tells them to sit here and pray, and he goes in a little bit deeper, and that's where he cries out to God and says, Lord, if there can be any other way, take it. I'm paraphrasing here, but not my will, but yours. And he comes out, and that's where this verse comes into play, and he tells the disciples who have fallen asleep, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, I'll sit there and I'll read that. And, and you know, if you've read the passage, you know that Jesus goes back in to pray. He comes back out and they're snoozing again. And he tells them one more time to get up. And he goes back in and the betrayers then show up. The betrayer Judas shows up with the, with the Roman guards and they're there to take Jesus. And I read that passage and I, I get so frustrated with the disciples when I read that. Because I'm like, guys, this is Jesus. He's telling you to go and just sit here to watch and pray while he goes into praise. This is the son of God. He has poured into your life for three years. What are you doing? And as I get frustrated with the disciples, the Lord very kindly convicts me and says, Brian, you're the disciples. The spirit is willing The Spirit wants to obey God. The Spirit wants to be used for God's glory. The Spirit is willing to do whatever the Lord wants. The flesh is weak. My flesh says my pride is more important. My flesh says my sin is more important. My flesh says, man, Brian is more important. And when we do that and we don't follow the commandments of the Lord and we don't do the things that Christ calls us to do and we don't seek his face and we don't put on the new self every single day and deny ourselves, we fall into temptation. We fall into disobedience to God. And the calling as a follower of Jesus is to not do so. Lastly, in 23 and 24, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Paul addresses this importance of being renewed in your mind. We know from Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we are continually growing in our relationship with Jesus and we are being sanctified continually, 
and we are growing and we are knowing Jesus more and more and we're dying to self more and more, our minds are being renewed. Our minds are being transformed and we are continually, if we are being obedient to God and we're pursuing him and we're seeing these things that God wants for us and we're following in that, we're getting further and further away from that old self, that old sin that we want to put back on. You see, turning from that old self and running from it, it's very important. We must turn, we must repent, we must run as we can away from it. And yes, that is extremely important. And that is a major point that you've got to stay focused on. We've got to continually flee from this. But as we're fleeing, we have to remember that while we're fleeing and we're running this way, we're running to Jesus, we are pursuing what is pure. We are pursuing Christ Jesus the sinless son of God who came, lived a perfect life for us, set the example to the disciples, written all out in his word so that we, 2,000 year years later, can sit on a hot summer day in North Charleston and listen to the word of God and see what he has for us. We have this wonderful example of Christ Jesus in our lives. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. Band, you can come forward. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be, ever be perfect. But we are called by God as we're running this race, as Paul talks about in Philippians, and we're pursuing that in Corinthians, and we're moving forward in that. We're pursuing what is pure, which is Jesus Christ. And I pray for each of us as we're putting on this new self and we're remembering this daily and we're running towards that, that as God reveals things in our lives that are sin that we have that maybe we're struggling with or we have issues between a brother or a sister and ourselves, that we would see the need to repent and give it up to God fully and completely and say, Lord, I am yours, completely yours. Have your way with me. I'm gonna ask Miss Rachel and Troy if they'll come up here as well. We're going to have this time of reflection and response. The team is going to sing, I Surrender All. Such a beautiful hymn. And my prayer is that you will have the desire to live out these words, truly. To live your life and say, Lord, I surrender all. And if you're in this place and you don't know Christ as Lord, what a wonderful day to know him. If the spirit is drawing near, please don't, don't ignore it. Come and talk to one of us. We will explain to you the truths of the gospel. We will pray with you. We will encourage you. Whatever it is you have, don't be discouraged to come. If maybe you're nervous to come forward, we will gladly speak with you afterwards. But I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing. Father God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the example that you set for us of Christ Jesus and what he has done for us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for a, a difficult passage, Lord, to, to truly understand, not to walk in the way of someone that doesn't know you, especially if we've already come to know you as Lord and Savior. May we continually deny ourselves and live for you by putting on the new self. And Lord, may you get the glory, honor, and praise for it. In Christ's name, amen.